Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, a special needs podcast. Each week, we're going to be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals and to empower parents. In a world where there is less guidance, less money, more demand and continual changes, teachers, Senkos and leaders need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives. The Sendcast is the answer. This week's show is on autism girls and why they're not being identified and why they are not provided with the help they need early enough. This week, we have the amazing Sarah-Jane Critchley from Different Joy Partnership. Sarah-Jane was previously the Programme Manager of the Autism Education Trust. She is a member of the National Autism in Girls Forum and a contributing author to Autism in Girls and has spoken both at NHT Autism and Girls Conferences, which was a lot more knowledge than I do around autism and girls. Before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual SEM Conference? This is a conference we started back in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the app content whenever you need. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Sarah Jane. Hi, Dale. Autism in girls is a big topic at the moment, and rightly so. When did this become an area of interest for you, and why? Well, I think it's fair to say it was a, a late burgeoning interest. So I was program manager of the Autism Education Trust for over 10 years. But what happened was that originally we didn't understand much about autism in girls. It tended to be that those who were identified as being autistic were girls who had also intellectual disabilities, who maybe weren't verbal who were very profoundly affected by their autism. What happened later is that we began to understand that girls who can be very verbal, who can be very social, who can be sociable and make eye contact actually were autistic as well or could be autistic as well. So it's a very late breaking realisation. And there's this whole population of people that we didn't even know existed. We didn't know they were there. They were hidden and masked. And those two things kind of came together for me when I discovered that my own daughter was actually autistic. And that's part of a long, long journey, which we'll talk a little bit more about as we go, I'm sure. So because autism, I think most of the diagnoses are in boys. Yes. And there's a, a very typical uh, autism pattern that we yes. believe exists. And they probably just applied that same format to girls and realized it didn't work. And the actual, the typical, if there is a typical format for girls with autism, doesn't work and it's its own thing. Absolutely. So everybody with autism is different. So the profile from one person is different to the profile in another person. And historically, what you'd be looking for would be the behaviours that you would normally expect to see in boys. So they'd be asking for things diagnostically like, does he line trains up? Well, <laughs> not very many girls enjoy playing with trains. Some do. So there are some girls who would love playing with trains and who would line that up. Other girls wouldn't do that. They would be looking for people who would behave in typically boy fashion. So they would be less socially motivated. They wouldn't make eye contact. They would perhaps play in a more isolated way. But that didn't really match up with what girls tend to do. So girls may well be lining up their Barbies. They may well be putting their toys into a particular format, a particular arrangement, the same format and arrangement every time, and be doing it as if it's a pattern, not as if it's pretend play. So that's a very different way of doing it. 
Yeah, I was just trying to work out with my girls, did they ever line things up? And it's quite a boy thing to do. I remember lining up cars yeah. and doing things. But I look at my daughters and they did. They played teacher. Yes. They had classes. Oh, there yes. was definitely a reason for lining them up and grouping them rather than just there's five and there's six and there's... There is still a pattern matching thing. And there is something about special interest in girls being very, very different to special interest in boys. So if you're looking for an autistic boy, you might be thinking about Thomas Tank Engine. You might be thinking about dinosaurs. You might be thinking about some niche interests. There's one amazing young man I knew that had um, a thing about Otis Lifts. So if you're looking at something that's really sort of weird, geeky, strange, you would be thinking, oh, that boy, that's definitely a boy. He may be autistic. But with a girl, you're looking at different things and their yeah. interests are often far more mainstream. So you could have a girl who's absolutely passionate about Hollyoaks and will know everything about the programme, will know everything about the actors, will have a particular interest in a particular actor or actress and will know absolutely everything that is to know about them. So they'll know their hair colour, their date of birth, what they like, what they don't like. They'll have read every article. They'll, they may even um, wear the same clothing. They may choose to do that. You know, their level of interest in their special interest is much more deep than you would expect of somebody who's not autistic. Yeah, because you mentioned the dinosaurs. You mentioned Thomas Tank yeah. Engine. My nephew also likes planes. Yes. So when he did write a story, it involved a technical something about the plane was a big key part of the story. When I think of my girls growing up, I don't think within girls' toys that there's much detail or specification. So with boys, you've got all the uh, football cards and the players' scores, the speed and all yeah. this lot and all these stuff, which very much almost autism dream world. The top trumps approach to life. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at the girls' stuff and I'm going, there isn't got that very obvious organisation, numbers, games with girls' toys. Not numbers, but if you look at things like makeup. Oh, I was thinking and makeup. And the way that makeup works or the way that fashion works, there is so much detail to that. And I was talking to my daughter the other day and she was watching a film on costume because she likes period costumes. And she's been intensively watching these programs on how you actually make a historically accurate skirt down to the type of stitching you would do, the type of thread you would do, where you would get this material from and how it works and what sort of size of bustle you might have, how you would make that bustle and how you'd get the length to be right and what, how you'd actually take the photographs of this in a train station so you can get the sort of the staircase for the proper swoop, you know, it's kind of in almost forensic detail. But I suppose with the boys, the, the the cars, the trains, and all that lot start at a much earlier age because, like, makeup and things like that, that's an older. So, does that mean, is that why a lot of uh, girls with autism aren't picked up earlier because of the type of things they will get really into it generally comes later? Absolutely. And one of the other things that lots of girls that I know do is that they're passionate about fiction. They love stories. And so they'll really dive into those amazing stories. They adore Harry Potter and they'll really identify with some of the characters in there and they'll know the characters, they'll know the history, they'll know the background, they'll have been on to J.K. Rowling's entire website, which has got the whole history of them. They'll know the backstory, they'll know the news stories, they'll know the bits that weren't actually included in the books or the films or anything else. They'll know everything about the actors and actresses who played them. They'll know everything about the fantastical beasts and the very different parts of each of those fantastical beasts, but not necessarily the things that you would think of as being autistic. Yeah. Um, so often we talk about sort of one thing and, and with autism, you've got things like, so if you think of quad of autism, you've got um, communication, yeah. you've got social interaction, flexibility of thought and yeah. emotional regulation. 
So it's important to make sure you're not just looking for one thing like this fanatical interest. There'll be other indicators as well. So one of the diagnostic criteria that has now swept into the new version, so there's DSM-5, which is the American diagnostic criteria, and there's ICD-11, which is the European diagnostic criteria, and um, DSM-5 now includes sensory profile, sensory issues as a key aspect of autism. And that's new. That hadn't been included historically. But it's really, really important because something like, I think it's over 80% of autistic people have identified that they have sensory issues. They have a very different sensory profile to other people. And that's huge because it affects everything. It affects absolutely everything about how you interact with the world and how you receive what you're told, what your body's telling you, what your eyes see, what your ears hear, how you experience touch, you know, everything, absolutely every aspect. And that impacts on girls and boys equally. That's not a gender specific thing at all. I think it affects everyone as well. Yeah. It does. So a lot of damage can happen in that waiting because you've not got that uh, sort of nice early key. Wow, that's a bit obsessive. So that doesn't come. So a lot of damage can be done in that waiting, can't it? Absolutely. So one of the things that we know about autism generally, and about any sort of developmental condition, and autism is a developmental condition, is that the earlier you get help and support, the better your outcomes. And that's partly around understanding where your strengths are and knowing that that's what normal is for you, and that that can be a wonderful thing as well as a challenging thing. And that if you leave that process, if you're not picked up early, you're at risk of not knowing how to use your real strengths. You're at risk of not being supported in the areas where you have an additional need. You're at risk of being exploited. And that is a real issue for girls. And because girls generally are diagnosed much, much later, often in teenage or even in adulthood, there are lots of autistic women now who are coming forward for diagnosis. And I was talking to Professor Francesca Happe the other day. I think the oldest lady she had was in her 80s who'd come forward and talked to her about being autistic. And that is a real thing. And the tragedy is that the adult women who are coming forward have experienced all sorts of horrific things. And we need to prevent our girls from going through that experience. And it is, it's always that scale. So there are those where their autism might only be a minor effect. It might not have a big impact. And there are those where actually that's caused significant damage to their lives because they've not been aware of it, yeah. how that's affected their lives and how to cope with that. And it also meant that the people around them aren't aware why they're behaving in that way. Yes, and the big thing is that actually, even if it looks as if they might not look very autistic or they might not portray themselves as being very autistic and they might not show the things that you're expecting autistic people to do that doesn't mean that they are not profoundly and deeply affected by that and often what happens is that our autistic friends who can be male and female it doesn't have to be just girls mask their autism in order to fit in what we know about masking is that it's toxic for well-being it is catastrophic in terms of mental wellness so it is really important whether you're male or female that you are able to be yourself in a safe space somewhere. Yeah. So you might have to do things to fit in the same way that everybody does. You know, you put on a smart suit if you're going for an interview. You might want to do things in order to fit in a particular environment, but you don't want to live your life like that because that is not you. So you have to have a safe space where you can be yourself. If you understand that early enough at home and at school where you're learning, that can be a safe space. The tragedy is often it isn't. Yeah. Um, I think, I suppose with boys is as they sort of embrace their autism earlier and girls that comes later is they probably are 
more push to fit in with other people. Uh, and that masking probably becomes more natural to girls. Yeah. So there's a huge thing about girls doing what they're told, being good girls. You know, good girls fit in. They do what they're told. They don't challenge. They're not too loud. They're not difficult in any way. And that leaves autistic girls in particular very, very vulnerable because they'll do things they are asked and told to do without thinking about whether that is the right thing to do. The difference between girls and boys who are autistic, even though they may have a very similar profile, is that boys generally aren't expected to conform. So they yeah. can get away with being more themselves without being pushed that way. Yeah, the boys are allowed to be more rough, Absolutely. more vocal, more aggressive. Yeah, and that's a whole thing about sexual relationships and that is a whole thing. Yeah, that's a big area. So um, do you have any examples of sort of how uh, a, a girl with autism may portray themselves in school? Mm. So very, very variable. So yep. you can get have a whole range of different things. You could have a girl who's very bright, very sparky, very geeky, very outspoken, very verbal, who will always be the one who's got a hand up, who will always be the first to answer everything, who'll be the first to lead any environment. She is the person who may well be the school prefect, the head girl, you know, high achiever, absolutely amazing, perfectionist. But if she gets anything wrong, she'll screw it up and throw it in the bin. And if she doesn't get straight A's, she'll be absolutely devastated. You could also have another girl who's really quiet, who doesn't say anything, who won't put her hand up because she's so terrified of getting it wrong, that she'll say nothing. And she'll sit and she'll watch everybody and see what they're doing and how they're behaving to make sure that she can match what they're doing. And she's intentionally, academically, thinking her way into that behavior instead of just knowing how to do it in the way that somebody who's not autistic might be able to do. And that's exhausting. So this poor girl is sat there and watched everybody and made sure she was doing the right thing, is on the edge of the social group so she's not being picked on, actually goes home and completely crashes. So she may kick off. The, she may be one of those people who does the three o'clock time bomb. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I've experienced it. Oh, so <laughs> lots of lovely autistic people struggle to fit in really hard, work really hard during the day. They behave brilliantly at school. No teacher would ever know that there's an issue because they are fantastic. Oh no, he's really paid attention to what was necessary. That's absolutely wonderful. But then the strain of doing that all day crashes them when they get home. And when they're in their safe space, they will completely explode. And then you'll get a parent who comes in and says, look, they are really struggling. And the teacher will say, I don't know what you're talking about. It must be something you're doing at home. Oh, yes. Sorry. Parents fault. Late breaking tip. It's not actually. It's the cumulative effect of all of that effort through the day. And you should just be grateful they're trying so hard for you. That's amazing. And give them credit for doing that because it's really hard work. I suppose with those two profiles you've given, is that high achiever who's doing really well. Mm -hmm. It's that perfectionist yeah. and also using the picture from home to fill in. Yes. You can have girls who are that perfectionist that haven't got autism, yep. but it's that picture from home. It's little things, little really small telltales. And same with that girl who could be just a quiet girl in the classroom. There could be anxieties, yeah. various things, but it's that, that's that, that whole picture, that looking at from home and hearing how they're coping at home. So I know my daughter, she loves the walk home from school with her mum yeah. because she lets loose. Oh, That's her release. And so you know that she is putting on her best behaviour. She's doing all the stuff she's expected to in the classroom and at school, like yeah. a good girl and fitting in. And then she gets home and it all comes out how this person annoyed them and this person didn't do this and that. And it's just a long list. And it's that release. She needs it to just 
relax. And as a parent, I think your job is always to accept them for what they are. Absolutely. Don't change them. Don't say to them, well, you can do, you're good in school. Let's be good at home. Don't do that. It's, <laughs> it's accepting them and letting them be who they are and finding out who they are and their interests. Because let's say they have an interest which you're not interested in. You probably find that interest calms them. Absolutely. So I have this wonderful thing that I talk about on one of my YouTube films called The Magical Air Gap, which is that period between school and home or between school and doing homework, which means that you have chance to relax and release the tension of the day and let it go. And you're really lucky that your daughter's actually able to verbalize that because lots of people aren't. And lots of autistic people hold on to that tension and won't even know what's causing that tension until they've had chance to process the day. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience yourself, but occasionally if you've ever been to a party and you've had quite a bit to drink and then you wake up the following morning and think, think through what had happened the night before, that delayed processing actually is a thing in autism as well. So it can take a while to understand what's happening, but your body remembers and your emotions remember what's going on. So there is tension, stress and anxiety built around things that you haven't actually been able to verbalise. So that magical air gap gives time for that to unpack and to unfurl. And you're absolutely right. Special interests, intense and passionate interests are a fantastic way of relaxing. They are the best way of relaxing because that's safe time. That's special time. That's somewhere where no one's going to ask you any difficult questions. And you just get to do that <sighs> moment. And then you can kind of think, okay, so what's the homework now? Or maybe I need to actually eat something that might be a bit challenging. Or maybe I've got some chores to do to help my parent. No, actually, I am in fantasy land. <laughs> no, that, that, kind of, in my ideal life, that would be what would happen. So last year, it was my daughter had that time to walk home with mum and have that release. But this year, she's in year six, so she walks home alone, which meant she doesn't have that release. She gets home and she's still angst up. And my, my wife has no idea how it's going to be when she gets home. And I think next year when she's at secondary school, she'll be walking. So we have the same problem. I think there is that issue in primary schools. They often walk home with the parents or with siblings. And they can talk about their day. But when they go to secondary school, it's very different. So that's probably another one of those many contributing factors mm. on why secondary school is so much more of a challenge because they are alone more. And also, I suppose parents can often feel that they're old enough to be at home alone. So they don't, they're not at home when the children get home. Yes. Children get home and they're alone in the house with their own thoughts. And the parents might not go home for an hour or so. Again, you're still waiting for that release. So it's about trying to find different ways of doing that. And actually just having time out gives you the opportunity to do that. Or she could start a diary and write down things that were affecting her. Or one of the things that my son does, who's also autistic, is that he listens to music on the way home. And he loves walking with music. In fact, he's at college now, but he'll actually travel to college on the train. He walks to the train station, gets on the train, walks to the college, and then does all that in reverse. And then he'll come home, put his bag down and go out for a walk because he hasn't done enough walking. So there is something really important about having physical exercise to be able to get rid of that stress and anxiety. It's one of the best ways monotonous, hard physical exercise is brilliant for stress relief. I think if you're doing something monotonous, you're not thinking about it. No. So it gives your brain that chance to sort of be free and explore. It's walking meditation. It's perfect. Just tell them they're listening to music and it'll, it'll be a bit cooler than saying, oh, darling, you need to do walking meditation. They'll look at you with that look on their face going, mm, no, that's not cool. <laughs> so autism can be seen as a negative thing. It can. And... 
for boys. There's a number of people with autism. They can look up to heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the recent ones, which I've seen a lot of talk about, is Drax from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yes. Who's a very literal character. And, uh, and a lot of children have commented about how actually they really relate to Drax. Mm. He's also um, a bit gorgeous and rather well... Um, <laughs> yes, he's a bit ripped. <laughs> kind of, Back on topic. Yes. Sorry, um, I was so are there any uh, sort of female autism heroes? Loads. Oh, there are so many to pick from. So the one that probably would be most identifiable for teenage girls right now would be Greta Thunberg. So she is a phenomenal autistic young lady. She identifies autism as being her superpower. And let's be utterly honest: if you can go to the UN and call out the leaders of all of the nations of the UN and say, excuse me, you are not doing a good enough job. That takes some guts. And the reason she was able to do that was that she was actually out of school and struggling with anxiety. She was selectively mute at the time. She was just not well enough to be in school and yet was able to say, look, this is just not good enough. And I think there is something about us underestimating the power of people who see things differently. It can be a huge strength. I did not know she suffered from anxiety and yeah, selective mutism. How literally. can someone do that? And again, I think it's you see people, what you, you assume so much about mm. someone. You, you put them in, she does that. And even though you hear the word autism, you put neurotypical uh, expectations on them. Yeah. And I think that's quite worrying because because it's a hidden disability. You don't know just by looking at somebody whether they're autistic or not. There will be loads of people that you see that you just don't know. You have no clue. I, I almost expected her because she got so much stick from the press, from celebrities and world leaders. You almost expected her to have a really thick, I'm oblivious to what everyone else says. But the fact she's got selective mutism and anxiety is the opposite. But it's actually slightly different to that. So... The reason she's able to talk is because she's utterly passionate about it. And that is the most important thing. And she's right. You know, let's, she's not yep. just out there on her own. She's backed up by all of the scientists in climate science, you know, across the world, multiple people in different countries. This isn't a sort of outlying view. She's taken something that is really important to everybody and is very passionate about it. The concern that I have about the people's reactions to her are that they are challenged by a young female being verbal and telling the truth. I mean, and not masking what she should not be. Not masking, telling the truth. And that doesn't mean that she isn't paying a huge price for doing that. That doesn't mean she doesn't need time out after that. That doesn't mean that she doesn't need time in her quiet place to be able to recoup and recover, because that will come with a price. And I think her father's spoken about how he's concerned about her long-term well-being because it's a huge thing you know it's a huge thing for anybody to be in that position so I think it's it's hard and I think she's doing a phenomenal job so she's one person that people will have heard of um somebody else that people might have heard of if anybody watches Hollyoaks there's a fantastic actress on there called Talia Grant and she plays Brooke on Hollyoaks I hope to god it is Brooke and I'm fairly sure her <laughs> character's name is Brooke and my apologies I don't actually watch Hollyoaks but I don't do soap operas on television too busy studying autism and girls um, and she but she's an amazing actress she's autistic she plays an autistic character and she speaks really passionately about how well her production company have actually supported her in order for her to be able to do her job and she had a really hard time in school she struggled a lot and she suffered from serious mental health issues she's um, the fantastic Carrie Grant's daughter 
And they've both spoken about it publicly, so I'm not breaching any confidentialities here. She's been on television telling telling people about this. Um, And she says that they made massive accommodations for her. And the things that they did actually weren't that difficult. They just spoke to her about what it was she needed so that she felt safe and secure and could do her job. And she does that brilliantly because she's well-supported. Makes the world a difference. It does. And autism is, is, is kind of an extension of different personalities. Yeah. I do think everyone in a school, employee, job, all needs slightly different ways of doing things, slightly different support. Somebody got the visual learners, kinetic learners, and all those sort of different things. Is An auditory is just an, almost an exaggeration of that. But if you make those allowances for autism, it will actually make most people's lives better. Absolutely. We did always say in the AT, we had this wonderful thing that said, if you have good practice for young people with autism, it's good practice for all young people. If you think about things like the signage that you have at an airport, really good signposting that tells you exactly where to go, that's visual, is incredibly helpful, isn't it? It stops you from getting lost. If you have the same thing in a school, it's really, really helpful. It stops you from getting lost. Lots of autistic people need visual supports, need things to help them to structure and make them feel safe. That helps everybody. It just makes it easier for everybody. It does. And I also think things like, there's a lot of um, focus on mindfulness. Mm. And that is almost like that meditated walking, that quiet space. It's, it's the same thing. Now, with autism, it's a big requirement to help them cope. Yeah. But you, actually for us in everyday life, if you do it as well, it will help you cope with everything much better as well. There is only one slight caveat to that. So... <laughs> things are always slightly more complicated in autism. It's never yes. entirely straightforward and everybody is different. Yes. So for some people, having a mindful approach is brilliant and that's fine and that feels like time in. But if you have time in with something specific like your special interest, which is something you know and love and calms you, that can work better. I know quite a few autistic people who struggle with doing things like body scans that you would normally do in mindfulness, partly because lots of autistic people have an issue with where their body is in space and time and how their body relates to things around them. So there are a number of different sensory things, which we'll talk about on another podcast, I know. But if you're not sure what your body's doing, actually trying to run through that in something you don't really identify with can be a bit challenging. So actually time in with something you know and can feel works better. The other thing is that if you have any traumatic experiences that are tied to your body, which lots of autistic people do because of things that they've gone through which are traumatic, that can be triggering rather than soothing. Yes. So you have to think really carefully about what it is. And you can't just apply, uh, oh, this is the solution, so I'm going to use it for everybody. It has to start from that individual person first. So how widespread is autism in girls? Are we talking one in a thousand, one in a hundred? <laughs> so, oh, that's a, such a good question. I love that question. Dan. So the honest answer is at the moment, we're not entirely sure. And the reason why we're not entirely sure is that if you look at the number of people who are thought to be autistic in the general population, you get different numbers depending on who you're talking to. So if you look at the number of people who have an autism diagnosis, the National Autistic Society says one in 100 people generally. And historically, one in four of those would have been girls. So there'll be four boys, each one girl. However, if you look at other studies, like in America, the CDC, the Centre for Disease Control, not (laughs) the lovely group we have in the UK, which is 
I can't even remember what they're called. Council for Disabled Children. Sorry, I had a sudden brain moment. Unlike the Council for Disabled Children, the CDC in the United States is saying one in 64 people are autistic, which is a much higher ratio. If you look at population studies, there's an amazing population study by um, Roy Richard Grinker, which was done a little while ago, that suggested that as many as 2% of people would actually meet autistic criteria, but they wouldn't necessarily have been diagnosed. So he's looking at the whole population. Not everybody who's autistic would go for a diagnosis. Not everybody who's autistic would get a diagnosis. Yep. Because of the way the diagnostic criteria is set up, because we've, we've said it's looking for things that boys do, the mechanisms and the screening tests that they use for autism, things like the ADOS, do not recognise a profile of girls very well at all. So it is not going to identify as many girls as it would identify boys. So that way you're going to... It means that we don't know exactly how many. But you could assume that for every boy in your school with autism, there could be a girl with autism that's hidden. Absolutely. So we actually reckon a minimum of two to one, a minimum of two to one. So a minimum of two boys per one girl. So if you've got a class of 30, you would expect pretty much for there to be at least one autistic person in that class. That may be a boy, that may be a girl. If you've got two classes in your school, you're going to have one of each. So you need to be aware of it. And it may not be obvious. And it may not be obvious on the boy either. So you may have a boy who's masking and presenting with something that you might think of as a, a female profile of autism, where they may be quieter, they may not be obvious, they may not do stereotypically boy things. And autism in girls isn't a new thing. It's not a case of it's just happened. It's more we finally notice. As you uh, said earlier, there was an 80-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So more and more adult women coming forward. And that's a real tragedy because the, the women that I talk to, and I coach autistic women as part of what I do, and the thing that they really struggle with is what would my life have been different because if I had known, if only I had known, I would not have been in those particular situations. If I had been supported, maybe I wouldn't have had some of the difficulties that I've had. And so now it's about saying it's never too late. Is never too late. So you will have teachers listening to this right now who are autistic women. You will have teachers who've got sisters, who've got mothers, who've got grandmothers, aunts, all sorts of people who are autistic and didn't know it. It's never too late to know who you are and to love the person you are. Yes. Um, and do you think it's the way society has changed with social media, Instagram, all these pressures? Do you think that's making people's lives with autism harder? Is that why it's, at the moment it's become more aware? There are aspects that are really useful in social media and online. So lots of autistic people find their tribe online. They find people who are like them. They find people with the same interests. They find people who understand them. And that's phenomenal. That is just wonderful. However, there are other aspects of social media which are more challenging. So there will be girls and women who say, I've got 300 friends on Facebook, but actually those, one, that shows how old I am because they're probably not on Facebook if they're girls, <laughs> but you know, you get the idea. 300 fans on Instagram is probably a better version or on Snapchat, but actually they're not behaving like friends and actually they're being quite abusive, but they're friends because that's the label that they're given on that particular social media. So it's not necessarily understanding what a friend is. And one of the things we really have to do is to teach girls what a good friendship is, what a bad friendship is, what a good relationship is, what a bad relationship is, how you can tell the difference between the two and what is okay for people to ask of you and what isn't. And that's really important because 
they're not going to pick that up. So for me, is when when I grew up before the internet, you got home and it was quiet and it was your place. Yeah. Whereas now, you've got your mobile phone, you've got the social media. It means you're masking all the time. You can be, and it's very very hard for all of us right now to put that thing down. It's face down at the moment. I can reach it. I can touch it. I can even touch my phone right now, but it's face down. It's really hard for us to actually get the distance from that. And the thing that used to happen, you're absolutely right, is that if there was bullying, which there often is, and which autistic people suffer from far more than non-autistic people, that stopped at your front door. And now that comes into your front door. It comes into your bedroom. And I actually think that if you don't have time away from a phone, it comes into your head. And when those messages keep coming back into your head again and again and saying, you're not good enough, you're weird, you're, you're not part of our group, you know, that's really corrosive for mental health. And then you get people where that message is being said to them and they can't put the phone away to stop reading it. They yeah. need to actually make, see what else is being said about them. And it's, yeah. it is addictive and it's, I think it's really damaging. And it I is. think for most people, it's a strain. And mm -hmm. I think if, if you're not being yourself, you're not allowed to be yourself because you're masking. That's going to be such a big strain on that person. They've masked all yeah. day in school. They mask themselves on social media. They've got to let let it out. But this is one of those areas where some schools are absolutely fantastic, and they do part of the PSHE curriculum can include things like how you manage digital media and do that effectively and what is a good profile where you share your information and where you don't how to do that safely why not to trust people you only meet online you know how to kind of manage that effectively and some schools are doing that brilliantly and they're educating the social context of how that works and that can be life-changing but you know it's just part of the profile and I suppose with all this doom and gloom there's the children who struggle at school who then drop out of school but that's not final result it can go worse as they get older there's a lot of suicides there are so it's a bit catastrophic for late diagnosed autistic women are far more likely to kill themselves they're far more likely to die by suicide they are far more likely to suffer from mental health issues and that is grim and we have to turn that around because these are women that we need we need the gifts they have to give and we can't afford to lose them like that really can't so it has to start now the fight back starts now and it starts with us and all your lovely people out there because we need every one of you it's all about being more aware mm. more accepting and i probably to me the biggest thing i hate at the moment in this world everyone is judgmental oh yes so you see something happen you're immediately you've judged it and you've got to stop that you've got to just take a couple of seconds to go it could be that or else could it be there's a wonderful thing. I was listening to a, um, a podcast from somebody that I follow, an amazing coach to the high-performing people across the world. Absolutely phenomenal. He was talking about how somebody cut him up in traffic. And he said he used to start getting a bit arsy and a bit effing and jeffing and being really cross because somebody had cut him up. And he actually learned to just sort of let his shoulders down and say, actually, there may be a reason why they've done that. They may be on the way to a hospital because somebody's been involved in an accident. It's not necessarily about me. It may be about what's going on for them. Yeah. And I had a personal example of this. And I, I was driving to school one day, it's a little while ago, and I won't say who's behind me, but there was this driver behind me 
who was getting really quite anxious and I wasn't pulling out fast enough for them. There was a whole stream of traffic. I could go nowhere, but you could just feel the waves of frustration coming from this car behind. And this, the woman in the car behind was, was beeping and hooting and, and we eventually drove off and got back. And it turned out to be somebody who was living not that far away who actually knocked on my door afterwards to apologise and said, I'm ever so sorry, I was just really late for school and I had to get them in to do this and there was this going on and that. And I said, look, it's fine. Been there, done that. It's okay. Don't worry. And I think you're right. We do leap to judgment very, very quickly. And I think it is a good practice to say, well, we don't know what's in anybody else's head. And I think one of the biggest issues that we sometimes have in schools is that people say that autistic people have no theory of mind that they can't understand another person's point of view or perspective. But very often it's us who are failing to understand their point of view or perspective, or in fact, anybody else's point of view or perspective. And we just have to be a bit more humble about it, actually. I think with autism, people with autism, they often don't pick up the intonation in voice. Some are brilliant at it, but often because it's been studied. Yes. So interestingly, my boys... Um, does a bit of voice acting he's done a bit of drama and absolutely loves that but it's a studied thing and he's very good at that other people will really struggle and some people just have a very monotone type voice if you've ever heard Andy Murray talk about his tennis you know he just doesn't have the the no. full intonation that you would expect from anybody else and he says it's not my fault I just can't talk in a way that is really interesting and vibrant yes that's uh, just him it is it's, it's a big thing is picking up on the other people's social cues yeah. and it can make a big difference to a relationship. Absolutely. And if we assume everyone can understand it and everyone can read it and everyone gives off the same, yeah. you're going to struggle. It's not going to work. It is. And we need to talk just a little bit about coercive control and about abusive relationships because that is a real concern. So if you struggle with social, picking up on social cues, if you struggle with understanding when somebody is intending to do you kindly or to do you harm if you don't know that somebody's going to take advantage if you can't pick up on those subtle clues that maybe somebody else might you are so much more vulnerable so we have to actively teach those sort of things and that can be really difficult that can be really difficult but there are lots of indications of sexual abuse of exploitation of financial abuse that happen far more often to autistic females than to anybody else because they're not picking up on those and because they don't necessarily have as big a, a social background, as big a social group, saying a big friendship group is saying, no, you don't want to go out with him. He's, he's a real red flag. You know, just look at what he's doing over there. That's not safe. If you don't have a friend by your side who's saying, no, you're not going home with him because he's dangerous, then you wouldn't necessarily know. And so you're that much more vulnerable. And it comes back to those social pressures of you must have a boyfriend or you must have yeah. a girlfriend and it's expected of you. And... I need to have a boyfriend. I can't be alone. It's all those things where they have to conform again. Absolutely. And there's a brilliant book I must tell you about, and we'll put in the show notes. I can't remember if I've included them already, which is has been written by the amazing Robin Stewart, who's an autistic woman. And she talks about how vulnerable she can, you can be. And it's the amazing autistic woman's super safe guide. It is a phenomenal book and it talks about how to manage money, how not to be exploited, how to avoid um, sexual exploitation, how to be safe. Really good. Really, really good. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. So um, No, so soon. <laughs> we can't possibly do that. So what three things can you do tomorrow yep. that will make school work better for girls with autism? Oh, 
Right. So the first thing is to be aware that a girl may be autistic and you may not automatically pick it up. So that's the first thing. Be open. The second thing is to listen to the girl and listen to her parents. If a parent comes to you and says, I'm really concerned because, then trust what they are saying because you may not be seeing it. And the third thing is that whatever you put in place has to be bespoke and specific to her and her needs. Because if you do something that's general, it won't necessarily work and you're in danger of undermining your relationship with her. A good relationship with a teacher or a TA can absolutely save an autistic girl or woman. It only takes one or two to make a huge difference. And you, lovely listener, can be that person. So please do. So that's the hard part is it's going to be bespoke. Yeah. That's going to be the hard part. And I suppose some of that will just come from listening to what's going on and just going, okay, we can put this in place. It might seem quite obvious, but other times it won't seem so quite obvious. Where can they get help? Right. So there's a brilliant place to start, which would be the Autism Education Trust's standards. And one of the things that they've got in there is an individual pupil profile. And that's phenomenal. And that enables you to sit down with the young person and to just identify their profile, find out what they love, what they find difficult, what helps them to calm down if they feel overwhelmed, what's going to be quite tricky for them, who to contact if they, you need backup, you know, where for them to go, how to give them time out. That's a good place to start. The second thing that the AT has is a sensory profile, which you can do with each and every autistic person. That makes a huge difference. So start there. And thirdly, just listen to them. Read everything you can about autistic people, especially about autistic women. Their experience is very different. And there is so much out there you need to know. A lot to learn. It's the beginning of a lifelong love affair. So thank you for coming on the show today, Sarah Jane. Thank you for having me. Um, I found it really interesting, a lot to reflect on, a lot to think about. Um, and one of the interesting things is with uh, my nephew, yes, a boy with autism, uh, a lot of the uh, typical girls with autism traits actually are his traits. Yes. Of so uh, again, with those um, diagnosis, didn't pick him up very well because mm. he's not got the right traits for the test. Absolutely. So uh, as Sarah Jane mentioned, we'll be putting that link to that book um, she's mentioned. And we've also got a link to a couple of other books that Sarah Jane's been involved in and that you find useful. We'll be linking to the website Not Fine in School, yep. which is a parent carer-led organisation set up in response to a growing number of children who struggle with school attendance. Yep. Uh, and also some links to the Autism Education Trust. And you can find the show notes on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com. Uh, and you can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news. Alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter at The Sendcast. On Facebook, just search for The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. LinkedIn, for some reason, The Sendcast doesn't work, so just search for Sendcast. If you want to get in touch with us, let us know your thoughts, give us feedback on the show, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed the Sendcast, uh, why not look into the virtual Send Conference? Uh, this is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by B Squared, but it covers all aspects of SEND. Uh, and what makes this conference different is that it's access across the internet. So you're not traveling to London or looking at conference going, that's miles away, I'll never get there. The conference comes to you across the internet. So we run the conference twice a year uh, in March and November. 
Uh, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you uh, with really, really good experts who really know their stuff much more than me. And the idea is each session is uh, like the Sendcast, is something you can go away with. So you watch the session and you've got something to go away and make a change in your school. And because it's access across the internet, you can watch the content whenever you want. So although we ran the last one back in November, you can buy access today and start watching those videos straight away. The cost for each conference is £60. And this doesn't isn't per person. This is for the entire school. Uh, so it's really good value for money. Um, and as a listener to the Sendcast, we are giving you a 10% discount. So if you want to buy access to the conference, just use the code uh, Sendcast10. So no space, Sendcast, and then one zero, um, and you'll get 10% discount. So thank you for listening to the Sendcast. We'll be back next week with another episode.